Hello everybody, welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Sunday, February 14th, 2010. This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. One show thingy at a time or something like that, I don't know. Hello everybody and welcome back to the show. Let's go ahead and get the contact info out of the way real quick. If you'd like to contact me, there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. The easiest way is to send me an email and you can send that to firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, which would be firearmscafe at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a comment over on the forums under the Firearms Cafe section. And that's over at the Gun Rights Radio Network forums. Now, I also have a voicemail, and I use that for both this podcast and my other podcast, which is The Armed Ape. And that voicemail number is area code 206-339-3266. And again, that number is area code 206-339-3266. When you leave a message over there, just make sure to leave your name and let me know which show that it's for, either for Firearms Cafe or for the Armed Ape Podcast. On the last couple of shows when we were dealing with the court stuff, we went over kind of who the major players were, things like um, how you actually got charged and ended up uh, maybe in front of the court. What we'll talk about on today's show is the types of hearings that the uh, the court has. There's really, there are several different types of hearings that you could actually go through. What we'll really be talking about and be concerned with today will be, I guess, the four kind of major ones uh, that most people would think about. If you were detained, so you're in jail or uh, in the case, uh, in a detention center, something like that. And again, it's different in different states, and all this stuff will be coming from my experience in the juvenile court. So what we'll do is we'll we'll discuss uh, what they would call a detention review. And what that means is, uh, as I had, had spoken on, uh, on the previous show, that you have to go in front of a judge within a certain amount of time. Uh, and that's so that you're not just, you know, stuck away in a jail somewhere forever and ever. When they do a detention review, what they're going to do is they're going to say that this is your charge, and they're going to say on such and such a date, at such and such a place, this is what was alleged to have happened. There's going to be two other things that they're going to do. The second thing that they're going to do is they're then going to ask, how do you plead? And you'll say one of two things. You'll either say, I did do it, or you'll say, I did not do it. If you say, I did do it, what, you'll ha- what will happen then is the judge will ask a series of questions and, and, uh, and you'll have to, in your own words, say what happened on, on that date and time. If you, however, say, and then uh, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, after you've done that, 
they'll do a bunch of procedural stuff. At that time, they'll set a uh, either a disposition or a sentencing hearing, uh, which would be probably the common term that most people would be familiar with. If, though, you said, well, I didn't do it, then they'll set a what people would refer to commonly as your trial. And in the juvenile court, that was called a deten- a uh, adjudication. Got detention review on my head still. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why you would do that. Uh, even if you thought that you were going to be found guilty, a lot of times you still may set set for that hearing. You may set for adjudication. And the reason you do that is it gives your attorney and the prosecutor time to talk. And they may offer you a plea agreement if it's something kind of small. If it's, it was a minor shoplifting, say it was for $10 worth of merchandise and the store ended up getting it back because they caught you. What they may do, the attorneys may get together, and this happened actually was pretty common, especially in something like a shoplift, where you would enter into a dismissal agreement. And what that would mean is that you would go ahead and set for trial, and this would be within uh, usually, oh, about, uh, I think it was a minimum of, of 60 days they had to set it. And again, they do that so that your court hearing doesn't drag on forever and ever. And for a dismissal agreement, the uh, the prosecutor would say, "Look, if this person does, you know, twenty hours of community service, we'll go ahead and dismiss the charges. And they'll bring proof of that into court." And as a probation officer, that would be part of my job, as I would try and make sure that uh, I wouldn't necessarily have to find them a place, but I would offer them suggestions where they could go. And then once they brought the proof of hours back to me, then I would verify with that agency or place that they actually, in fact, did show up and do the work on those days. And that's one of the reasons why, even though you haven't been found guilty of anything, you're assigned a probation officer. Uh, And as a quick aside here, we'll talk about the difference between a probation officer and a parole officer. A probation officer is for someone who has not been sentenced to the Department of Corrections, so they haven't been sentenced to actually serve time. A parole officer is someone that once you come out of uh, the Department of Corrections system, that's who that's who you uh, who would you, you would report to. And once you in Arizona and in the juvenile system, once you went through, uh, once you were actually sentenced to Department of Corrections. You never came back through juvenile court, or you, I guess you never came back through uh, probation services again. You would come back through the same court, but you, you, the option for you to be placed on probation is over. Um, you would then get probably sentenced back to Department of Corrections to serve more time. Now, another reason that you would set for trial is that you 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 and your attorney may discuss it and what you may try and do is they and they may offer them a plea agreement. They may go to the to the uh, prosecutor and say, "Look, if my client pleads, they'll they're willing to plead guilty and we won't have to go through the trial, but in but for, by them doing that, we want a reduced charge." So, a lot of times we would see this in things like um 
oh, let's say if it was marijuana possession, uh, which would be a, a felony, a lot of times they would reduce that down to an attempted possession or um, sometimes they would reduce it down to like, you know, attempted shoplift, which is a lesser crime uh, as far as how they, what they would call grade it. So how they determine what, what it's going to fall under, whether it's going to be a misdemeanor, felony, different types of classes of felonies. And the, the reason that the prosecutor's office would take the, uh, take the plea, it just saves them time and trial. A lot of times in the juvenile system, the, the, the consequence that they would get would still be the same. Uh, in adult, it may be a little bit different. So let's say that in the juvenile system, if a kid, he pleads guilty to that attempted shoplift, and part of his uh, sentencing later on is that he gets placed on probation. Well, he'd still be on probation whether he had, had pled, whether he was found guilty of um, the regular shoplifting or the attempted shoplift, that type of thing. Now, the third thing that's going to happen in that detention review hearing, so they've advised you of your charge. That's number one. Number two is you've either pled guilty or not guilty. Number three is they're going to decide at that point whether or not you can be released from the detention center or whether you need to stay. And they're going to look at a number of factors. The number one thing they're going to look at is if you are released from here, what's the likelihood of you coming back to court? So do we think you're going to run away? <clears throat> in the case of, excuse me, in the case of a juvenile, do we think you're going to run away? Uh, do you have a history of running away from home, that type of thing? Um, as an adult, are you going to skip out and either leave the state, that type of thing? If they think that you'll come back, then they're going to look at, and again, this was from the juvenile standpoint, we would look at things like, are you likely to commit a criminal act while you're out, another criminal act? And are you likely to do something that may cause harm either to yourself or to others? And you may say, well, is that something that's the same as a criminal act? And not necessarily so. What they're really looking at there is, are you likely to go out and, uh, especially in the juvenile realm, use drugs or alcohol? And they kind of have sort of that same thing in adult court. Uh, and it would be more of, you know, the abuse of alcohol or just the use of uh, illegal drugs. And if they determine that, yes, you'll come back, no, you're not going to... Um, be a harm to society, you're not going to be a harm to yourself, then they'll go ahead and release you. And again, a lot of that will be determined or colored by the severity of your charge. So if you've been involved in a, um, in a murder, you've been charged with murder or something like that, and it's not any type of a self-defense thing, obviously they're not going to let you go. This would be the same with any type of... Um, uh, probably sexual, uh, any type of uh, sex crime, any type of um, really a violent assault, they're probably just going to go ahead and keep you locked up. Not always. And in states where things are really overcrowded and overburdened, you may they may still get released anyway. So that's kind of how the detention review shakes out. The uh, kind of other side of the coin, so to speak, is what we what we called a advisory hearing. Uh, in adult court, sometimes they would call it your initial appearance. And what that would mean is uh, you had contact with the police, they charged you with something, but they didn't, it wasn't a thing where you were brought in. 
that charge then gets sent to the report, excuse me, gets sent to the county attorney's office. They decide whether or not they're going to go forward with it. If they do, they'll send you a thing in the mail saying that uh, this is your court date and time. Here's where you need to show up. Once you get to court, uh, you, let's say you had an 830 court hearing in front of, you know, Judge Brown. There may be five or six other people that have that 8.30 time slot, and you just get rotated in. And uh, that's, how, that's how they did it in the juvenile court. You had, uh, the judge would have about five uh, hearings set for 8.30, five hearings set for 9.30, 10.30, you know, uh, uh, five hearings set for 10 o'clock, then 10.30, so on and so forth. Um, they usually would allow uh, something like an advisor hearing about five minutes or so. It usually runs a little longer. Uh, and, and again, sometimes they're really quick, especially if they just go in and set for trial. A lot of times people don't show up, uh, so they go, uh, so they can just kind of blow through those. And a lot of times, too, if, if, if people, let's say if they had an 830 hearing and it's time for the court to start and it's time for that person to go in, they would maybe move him to the bottom and say, well, let's see if this person is going to show up before we either try and reset or, or maybe uh, uh, issue a warrant if we think that service was made and, and they knew about the hearing and just elected not to show up. So let's say that it's a, uh, you've gone ahead and, you're going to go ahead and set for trial. You've pleaded not guilty. Or you're doing something to try and maybe get a, a dismissal agreement or a plea agreement, and you've set for trial. In juvenile court, it was called an adjudication. And the reason it was called that, and that's a legal term, they do that so that the charge won't follow them in adult life. So that if, let's say, if they've been found guilty or adjudicated of stealing a car, that was the only other thing they ever did. And uh, they paid their restitution. They kind of made good. Later in life, they don't have to put down on a job application that they had been convicted of a felony because they were they were adjudicated. They were never actually convicted. And it's some people would say, "Oh, that's just semantics," but it's it's done for a reason. The intent of it was good. Some people will say, "Well, that kind of is just another loophole that they get," and and that's just kind of the way the system is. Um, most times juvenile records are sealed. Most times as an adult, you don't have to report any of that stuff anyway. Uh, but it was, again, it's just kind of another, uh, not safeguard, but it's, it was just another thing to kind of give somebody a chance who had turned their life around so they kind of wouldn't be haunted by it, uh, that it wouldn't keep uh, pushing them down. The juvenile court w was much more about, and it kind of really swung toward the end of my career there, more onto the social work. When I first started, it was much more about having responsibility, taking responsibility, and kind of going more towards trying to rehabilitate. Um, but it, it became a, a lot more kind of on the social work aspect of it. But th that's neither here nor there. So at your at that trial, they'll either find you guilty or not guilty. They'll call witnesses, and those are the things sometimes that can go on for two or three sessions. Um, sometimes if it's a big trial, uh, each each court appearance can be two or three hours long. And again, it's not that your trial, your advisory hearing isn't going to happen on a Monday and then your trial happens on a Wednesday. Usually there's a couple of months set in between. Adult court in other states, it may be different. There, there may be 
by by state uh, statute or law, there may be a certain amount of time that you cannot exceed before having that trial, uh, and it's probably that way in most places. Again, and that's a protection, not necessarily for the criminal, but it's the protection for, let's say, you or I as a common man, if we ever found ourselves uh, facing charges that we just can't be put away and locked away for two or three years while we're we're going through the trial process. Now, that doesn't mean that your trial couldn't last for months and months and months, and during that time, you're stuck in jail because you're you're, you're sort of getting your day in court, so to speak. So it's ongoing. Uh, but those things can take a long, long time. Now, at the end of your adjudication or at the end of the trial, one of two things will happen. You'll either be found guilty, at which case they'll set what we call the disposition hearing, uh, which would commonly be referred to as a sentencing hearing, or you'll be found not guilty. And if you're found not guilty, the charges are dismissed, you're done, you leave. Um, if you were in any type of a lockup situation, you'll be taken back to the jail, you'll be dressed out and released. Um, so if, if, you're, um, if you've done a plea agreement, Oh, let me, we'll go back and talk about that dis dismissal agreement. So let's say that you showed up and you had your 20 hours of work done. At that adjudication, they would, they would say, um, all right, here's the stuff. Mr. Probation Officer, have you verified that this stuff was actually done and it's not just some bogus thing that they made up? Then the probation officer will say, yes, it's true. And then they'll say, okay, you've met the terms of the agreement bang, it's done, it's dismissed. Uh, then again, there's no admission of guilt, there's no anything like that, it just sort of goes away. But the state has been satisfied, and in a sense, society, excuse me, has been satisfied in that they did get some payback from that person. Now if you've, uh, let's say they found you guilty, you go into sentencing. And when you go into sentencing, that's where a whole host of things can happen to you. You can be placed on probation. You can be uh, ordered to pay fines. You can be given things, depending on the nature of your charge. They could say, uh, you're, on, you're on probation until you pay this fine of X amount of dollars. Once that's done and once we have a receipt from the clerk of the court, then you're done. Uh, the probation officer will then do a report saying that these terms have been met and blah, blah, blah. Or uh, you could be placed on probation for up to a year. You could be sentenced to, and this is again in juvenile, you could be sentenced to Department of Corrections until your 18th birthday. Uh, and, and a whole host of things in between. Now, when we would do um, this, the, uh, when we would go to each one of these courts, my job as a probation officer was to find, again, a lot of that background information, um, do reports. The, the sentencing reports are long and have a lot of detail in them, but each time we would go into court, we would have little mini reports that would update the court on how the person's doing. So let's take a bit of an aside here and let's talk about something that, if, if you've never been in front of a court before, you don't really understand the level of intrusion that's going to happen to you. 
the right to privacy, basically all that stuff, it goes out the window. If it's you or if it's your kid that's going in front of the here the the court, basically my job as a probation officer, or one of the the many things that I had to do was to be kind of the eyes and ears for the court or for the judge. And what we would do again, I talked about those mini reports. The little ones that reports that we would do were called uh, MCIs or Most Current Information. And those would contain basically, there were five categories. And in those categories, there was a general thing where we would talk about, uh, we would reference, this is the kid's charge. Uh, this is, has, he, has this person ever been in front of the court before? Uh, do they have any other family members that have been in front of the court before? Uh, are they working? Uh, are the parents, and, this, and again, this as pertains to the juvenile court, where do the parents work? Is there, is there both parents at home? Uh, what does, how does the kid respond to uh, discipline? Is there any discipline at home? Does the kid come and go as he pleases? Do you approve of friends? Uh, then they're going to talk with them. Another category is what they would call school and employment, where we would talk, uh, again, is a pretty self-explanatory. Are they going to school? If they're going to school, where are they going? What's their attendance like? Are they a discipline problem in school? Uh, who do they hang out with at school? If they're working, where do they work? Uh, usually, if um, I wouldn't usually call their place of employment, uh, but I would tell them to bring in a you know, pay stub for the next court hearing or at least bring one to me to prove that they were actually employed where they were. If they wouldn't do that, then I would say, well, I'm going to need to call, call up your boss, tell me where you work again. Uh, but that was pretty rare. Usually, they, most of them, if they were working, were happy. They'd much rather bring in a pay stub than let their boss know that they're going through a bunch of court hassle. Uh, they would also, we would need to talk about, is there any type of substance abuse? So are they using drugs? Are they using alcohol? Um, one of the, lack of a better word, interrogation techniques, when you, when you get used to talking to people and asking questions, there are certain ways that you can ask questions to get, to help you find out information. If you ask a person, do you ever have you ever used drugs or alcohol, they're going to say no, whether they do or they don't. If you ask a person, when's the last time that you used, then more likely you're going to get the answer you want. They'll, and you'll be surprised, most people will do that. And even if they say, well, you know, I, I've never used, and you say, really? Not, you know, was it like a year ago or something? Was it a real long time ago? And then that leads them to believe, like, well, it doesn't make any difference. So then, and then a lot of times they'll say, well, yeah, you know, I used to, I, I used them, I tried it once or twice, or, and then you can kind of keep going, well, you know, how long ago was it, and how many times did you do it, and was it something like a once a week, and you can just kind of go on from there. Uh, but again, and, and that's something that the police do, that's something that they'll do in court. So the way that people ask questions, if they don't get the response that they want, they usually will just rephrase that stuff. But um, anyway, kind of getting off track a little bit. We would also talk about um, have they had any previous type of counseling or treatment. That comes more into play if they've kind of already been through the court system. Uh, and then at the end, we'll do a recommendation. And whenever you're in front of the court, the recommendation that we would be would be uh, one of a kind of a few things, but it would be well let's let's let them stay out or let's if they're detained they need to stay in detention. 
because of those things that we had mentioned before. We think they're not going to show up to court. We think they're going to commit new crimes, etc., etc. If they're doing well, their recommendation would be, well, they can stay out until the next hearing. Uh, if they're doing not so well, if they've been uh, using drugs or alcohol, and we would determine that through a, a, a urine test, um, that a different facility that they would go to, and then the, the reports are faxed over to us. Um, if, if that would be a concern, not, not everybody who goes to court has to do that. It's only if there's a concern that there may be drug or alcohol use. Um, but if they're, if they're doing well, they stay out. But if they're really doing crummy, you could recommend say, well, this guy's not going to school. He's not working. He's, 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 uh, running out at all hours. Um, we think that he's using drugs. He needs to come in and be locked up. And, uh, that was rare that that happened, but it did. So that's kind of the nature of the reports. Again, when they go to sentencing, it's a lot of that stuff, but it's a lot more detailed. So you'll get into family history, siblings, aunts, uncles, all sorts of all sorts of stuff. Um, so if you're going through the court process, it can be very invasive to your life, and you you really feel like you're kind of sort of laid open a lot and especially as an adult you know they're getting into stuff like you know how much money do you make and um, for a lot of these people you know they don't want to share that information um, there's also lots of, of different fees and fines that can be levied on you uh, so and again there's a whole host of other stuff that that a lot of people just don't have any awareness of so getting back to that sentencing hearing, if you're found guilty, uh, they're going to determine, the judge will eventually determine what the, uh, what the outcome is going to be. As a probation officer, we would recommend recommendations saying, well, I think this person either needs to pay restitution, needs to pay money back to the victim from damages that they did. They need to be placed on probation so that we have a monitor um, they need to, you know, get drug counseling, blah, 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 whatever you need to do. Or it may be they need to be on a more intensive form of probation. They need to maybe be on a, on house arrest for a few months. Or it may be that they, at this point, rehabilitation is not an option. The seriousness of the, of the, of the crime is such that we feel that they're a danger to society and they need to be sentenced to Department of Corrections. Now, having said that, it was pretty common because the juvenile's court's main thrust was for rehabilitation. And in, in some regard, although not as much, the adult court is the same thing. What they want to do is reduce recidivism. So they want to reduce people that are going to come back and commit crimes and go through the system again and again. So the juvenile court has much more, much more of a focus on on almost going like social work type stuff. And like I said, I think I said before that as I was leaving, when I first got in there, the focus wasn't so much on the social work aspect, but it was more on, okay, you've done this, you're going to be accountable, and while we're going to hold you accountable, at the same time, we're going to try and give you some services and give you some help. But you're still going to have to make sure we're going to hold you to a higher standard. And when my time there drew to a close, I sort of noticed that 
we weren't the standards that we used to hold people to when I first started were much lower than when I left. So, and I, I'm sure that's the same pretty much all over the, the place. But some of the old timers there that said that, you know, usually stuff kind of goes like a pendulum. So it can go to one side where it's real, real strict, and then it kind of swings through and goes back to the other side where it gets pretty, pretty loose, uh, fast and loose. And then what happens is, is the fast and loose stuff doesn't work, so it starts to swing back to the strict. Then when it's real strict, people say, oh, they're not getting enough chances in it. So it, it kind of cycles and goes back and forth. So that's going to uh, do it for, well, you know, before we close out on this stuff, let me talk a little bit about um, probation and kind of what that meant. Basically, probation was set up to make sure that the kid not necessarily doesn't ever commit a crime. And the police kind of get the blame for this stuff too, saying, oh, you let these people out. And then and when we were in probation, we would get kind of almost blamed if the kid screwed up. Like, why weren't you doing your job? But really, in, in the, the police's job is when a crime is committed, they come and they try and investigate it. In probation, really what our job was is we say, okay, the court has given you these set of rules. If you don't follow these set of rules, then you're going to go back to court and possibly end up getting locked up or getting sent to the uh, Department of Corrections. It's not to totally like change their life around or to do everything for them. And that was one of the things, again, that we were going more towards and that I didn't like uh, because it took away a lot of accountability and responsibility of that person. It was getting to the point to where we almost, you know, had to do the work for him. You had to, like, find him a place. You had to make sure um, that everything was pretty much handed to him on a silver platter where all they had to do was show up. And sometimes you had to set it up in a way to where the people would actually go out to their homes because if you didn't do that, they're just, they're not going to do it. They're not going to follow through with stuff. So, uh, but again, and, you know, a lot of times... Uh, the media, as we know, portrays a lot of things wrong and gets a lot of things wrong. And a lot of times the police uh, and you know probation and parole are painted as this picture of that if you're doing your job, crime doesn't happen. But that's not the way that things work. Crime is always going to happen. People are always going to do bad things. Uh, there really, I think, is no answer. I think we'll always have crime. The world is always going to be a dangerous place at times. Uh, it's it's not constantly going to be, you know, a cesspit or a sewer, but, you know, bad things do happen to good people. And good things, conversely, do happen to bad people. A lot of times these guys get away with a lot of stuff. Now, this brings me to another point. If, if you want to hear a really good episode and get some really good insight on how the criminal mind thinks and how some of these people operate the mentality. Go back and listen to Alex Haddock's um, episode number four of his show, which is a practical defense podcast. And he interviews a prison psychologist. And that is probably one of my favorite episodes of his because a lot of the stuff that I saw and that, the, the way that I felt certain things were, he validated. And I'm sure if you're a police officer, if you're a person who's involved in the courts or in the prison system, 
when you when you listen to him, you're like, yeah, right on. You know, you're right. You're a hundred percent right. In all the years that I was a probation officer, I think I only saw really regret and remorse maybe about ten times. Um, most of those people have no regret they have no remorse they have no sympathy they have no apathy or not apathy they have no uh they have plenty of apathy they have no empathy for the victims in their crime uh, they live in a world that is totally different from the world that you and i as law-abiding people live in they have a mindset of Man, that guy's got something nice. That's not fair that he has it. Why should he have that and not me? And if they can, they'll take it. Uh, and some people say, well, you know, uh, and, and I was guilty of this too for about two weeks when I first started. And when I very first started, I was doing what was called on-call work, which means I wasn't a probation officer, but uh, I, I worked in detention and uh, a lot of times would fill in for people who were on vacation, but the work was pretty steady. I averaged around 32 to 40 hours a week. And when I first started, I had I was under the the wrong assumption that the people that the kids that were in there were just kids, and they were pretty much like how I was as a kid. You know, maybe they got into a little trouble here and there, but they, uh, for the most part, they were pretty decent guys and. And uh, if they just had a little, give them, give them a couple of chances and they'd probably straighten right out and fly right. The truth of the matter is, is that's not how things are for most of them. It's very, very difficult to, especially as a juvenile, and especially here in, in, our, in our Arizona system, it's very difficult for a person to become detained, for them to actually get locked up while going through the court process. It's very difficult for them to get sent to Department of Corrections unless they have a very serious charge. Uh, they're given chance after chance after chance. Uh, I, there's been several, several times when I've been in court and I've recommended, look, this guy, we're done with this guy. He needs to go and get locked up. He needs to start serving some time. They don't do it. They give him chance after chance. And again, because some of that accountability has gone away and the focus is so much on rehabilitation that it has gone away from accountability. And what that tends to do is it sends a message of, you know what, you, you might as well roll the dice and take your chances because probably 75%, 80% of the time, they're not going to lock you away, and especially as a juvenile. And these people know that. They've grown up in the system. Their parents have grown up in the system. Their grandparents, their uncles, their cousins. They're, they're very aware of how the system works, and they're very aware of how to use it. We would see kids that had gone through tons of counseling and treatment, and you could always I could tell within five minutes of talking to one of those guys whether they had been through lots and lots of counseling because they talk a certain way and they become pretty adept at telling you what you want to hear. But of course, their actions speak louder than their words. Now, before we close up, let me talk about one other thing. There were, way back when, there, there were certain crimes due to the serious nature. So 
sexual assaults, rapes, uh, attempted murders, murder, uh, things like um, uh, armed robberies, uh, things like that, that were due to the nature of the crime, they would say this person it has gone beyond the scope of the juvenile court. And what we used to do was they would be called a transfer hearing. And what you would make the argument for in the transfer hearing, if you felt that, that the crime warranted it, is that you would say this person, even though they're 16 or 17 and not yet legally an adult, we recommend that due to the nature of this crime, they need to be tried as an adult and, and go up into adult court. And once that happens, then they never, they don't come back to juvenile court. Once you've been uh, gone up through adult court and been found guilty there. Now, if you were transferred up to adult court and found not guilty, and then three weeks later you stole a car, you'll still come back through adult court. I mean, excuse me, through juvenile court. If, however, on the other hand, you had been sent up to adult court for whatever reason they let that kid out and he committed a crime again let's say they stole a car they would initially come through the juvenile court for that first thing and then they would be remanded or sent right back to adult court because we would say that look they've they've already been transferred and gone through the adult system none of the services we have here are going to meet this person's need uh, needs and and so uh, it's best served for society that they go back to adult court and that the spot that this kid would have taken up in using the service can better be served by giving it by, to somebody else who's going to be actually able to use it and get some benefit out of it. So that's it for kind of how the court system works. If you guys have any questions about anything um, or if I wasn't clear on something, go ahead, drop me an email or uh, shoot me a voicemail. The email again is firearmscafe at gmail.com. The voicemail is area code 206-339-3266. I look forward to hearing from you. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Take care, everyone. Don't tase me, bro!